Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part four in our 2021 vision series, A Narrow View of the Whole World. A person's rule of life was never intended to be a solitary endeavor, but in the hyper-individualistic West that we find ourselves in, it can easily be misunderstood as one. The way of Jesus, by design, necessitates relationships. And not just any relationships, but intentional relationships that explore questions of substance about oneself and one's relationship to Jesus. Finding, cultivating, and prioritizing these sorts of relationships is key to a person's rule of life. I think myself and Van City as a whole has been greatly influenced and impacted by uh, two people. More than that, but two people in particular that I'm going to bring up. Um, the writings, thinking, and spirituality of Teresa Sanchez de Capetha Wamatha and her friend Juan de Yepes Alvarez. And my high school Spanish teacher somewhere is very proud of me for getting that. Um, okay, okay, so these two people have made their way uh, to us and, and, and color the way that we think about life with Jesus. Teresa was a devout nun who for 20 years struggled deeply with a sensitivity to God's Spirit through things that we would now call listening prayer and imaginative prayer. It was a struggle due to the religious and political climate of her context, to the point where she was instructed by her spiritual advisors to uh, regard her spiritual experiences as originating from Satan. Uh, They instructed that when she had an image of Jesus come to her mind's eye, they told her to give it the fig sign. We don't know what that is. Okay, which was and actually still is in some parts of the world a hand gesture that was equivalent to a spiritual middle finger. Uh, And if you're really curious about it, if you know ASL, American Sign Language, it's the letter T essentially. And if you don't know, Google it. Uh, but she, was made, uh, she made this gesture in her mind's eye towards these supposedly satanic images of Jesus with much regret, uh, regret and inner turmoil. Juan was a brilliant scholar, a professor at a leading university, and a friar devoted to following Jesus. But Juan w- was not enthused by the academic circles he ran in. He deeply longed for a contemplative life with calm, quiet, and a yearning for drawing closer to Jesus. Teresa, after coming to terms with her spiritual experiences, felt compelled to start a new monastic movement for women centered on a contemplative life. As a woman living in medieval Spain, the the cultural climate forced her to garner the support Uh, of men for this new monastic movement to survive and thrive. She needed a guide to help her begin a male version of this new monastic order. Juan and Teresa were introduced to each other uh, through a mutual acquaintance. Juan was a 25-year-old brilliant scholar and friar. Teresa was a 52-year-old fiery nun with obvious spiritual depth. Teresa celebrated Juan's mind. Juan celebrated Teresa's deep spirituality. They almost immediately began partnering to form a new monastic movement centered on the contemplative life. Juan uh, referred to Teresa as his spiritual mother. Teresa affectionately referred to Juan as Santico, which means my little saint, poking fun at Juan for being under five feet tall. And he, he laughed along as well. Uh, today, we know Juan and Teresa as Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. 
Uh, their writings have deeply influenced both Catholics and Protestants, and their monastic movement remains today. And while each were impressive figures in their own right, Teresa herself certainly wouldn't have needed a male to make an impact in the church, and John could have been a very successful scholar on, on his own. They both were much more together than they were individually, and had admitted as much in their writings. We are in the middle of our annual vision series as a church. Uh, a time where we focus ourselves on, on where we feel God has led us and will be leading us as a church in the, in the months ahead. Uh, for this season of our church, we believe that revisiting and refining the practice of creating a rule of life is a timely, useful counterbalance to not only the chaos of the world around us, but as a tool to intentionally draw us closer to Jesus and life with him. Uh, there's been a few weeks of teachings already, so if you've missed any uh, circle back and catch up on the podcast. Uh, the rule of life has been a tool the church has used for well over a thousand years uh, through different times and cultures and political situations and even pandemics. Uh, for us as 21st century Westerners, while, while still being an incredibly useful spiritual tool, the rule of life also presents us with a certain temptation that is unique to a hyper-individualistic society. It's the temptation to regard the rule of life and really most of our spiritual lives as this sort of individualistic journey for me. It's my rule of life and you have your rule of life and good luck with that. But interestingly enough, down throughout church history, the rule of life was mainly developed in the context of relationships in particular monasteries. Uh, it could be considered my rule of life, but that was always in the context of our rule of life, which can easily get lost in translation as we explore the rule of life in our context. So let's take some time, as is usual for us on a Sunday evening, and look at the scriptures and the life of Jesus to help us navigate the rule of life in the context of others. You guys ready? Yeah. Good, all right. Go ahead and stand up with me as a gesture of respect for the scriptures, and let's read Mark chapter 2 together, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, uh, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. These words are inspired by God. You can sit down. Jesus can uh, draw a crowd, uh, a rabbi or, or teacher who speaks with authority, not typically exercised by rabbis, a prophet coming and healing people as a sign of God's kingdom, breaking into the here and now. now. Uh, Jesus, so Jesus returns to Capernaum, which is like the home base for his work as a rabbi and prophet. Uh, people want to hear and see him, so they crowd into a house, and the crowd is like spilling out the front door. And here comes five people, four guys carrying one man who is paralyzed. And because of the crowd, they can't get this paralyzed man to Jesus. They don't give up, though. They end up climbing up onto the roof, taking this paralyzed man with them. So let's say 
The roof is about, I don't know, 10 feet up in the air. The architecture of the day would mean that the house had a flat roof with some type of ladder or simple staircase built on the outside of the house to get onto the roof. Uh, so four guys figure out a way to climb on the roof and then like hoist this paralyzed man up there with them. All the while, Jesus goes on teaching the crowds. Once on the roof, you really only have one option to get inside, uh, so the four guys tear up the roof. It may have been some sort of tile or it could have been a thatched roof with mud. Either way, they are ripping apart the roof to create a hole large enough to lower down this man who is paralyzed. It's probably a bit noisy, definitely flinging dirt and dust into the air as they do it. Their effort is noteworthy. They don't give up when adversity strikes. These four guys seem very determined to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. Uh, one com commentator simply noted this, uh, if, if an opening to Jesus cannot be found, one must be made. I love that. Jesus, seeing this all play out, is responsive and receptive to the paralyzed man. He eventually heals the man in this story, but he responds to not just the paralyzed man's situation or faith. Look down again at verse 5. What does Jesus respond to? Somebody say it out loud. Go for it. There, there. All five of their faiths. Their faith. The paralyzed man's faith and the four dudes who went to all the effort to get him to Jesus. Their faith. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. It's the first book in the Bible, so turn to your left. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with this thing, it's the first book of the Bible, second chapter in that first book of the Bible. Genesis 1 is this incredible account of God's creative activity and energy shaping the world and the universe, putting order and purpose and fruitfulness to the chaos of the primordial universe and the chunk of material we call the earth. Uh, Genesis 2 focuses on God's creation and purpose for this species called humans. Uh, the story plays out in this place called the Garden of Eden, sacred space reminiscent of a temple where heaven and earth come together. So read with me in Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay, stop right there. Uh, we, we miss this in the English translation of the Hebrew text, but the, the, wor the Hebrew words for work and take care of are typically priestly words, meaning Adam is not just some sort of gardener or arborist. He has a spiritual responsibility over this garden. Skip down to verse 18. Yahweh God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let me try and clarify a couple things about this passage here. This passage has been used in certain situation, situations and contexts in the church to relegate women to a subservient role to men. You know, see a woman is a man's helper. Uh, but follow me for a minute as we examine this text a little more closely. Uh, God says that he will make a helper for the man. That, that word that we translate as helper is the Hebrew word azer. Uh, in one sense, you could translate that as helper, you know, that's true, as in one who assists another person. Uh, the problem is that in English, the word helper often has the kind of a subservient con connotation, uh, and we can be certain that the Hebrew word azer 
doesn't carry that connotation because it's used for God in his relationship with humans. God is our helper. God is our Azer. I think a better way to translate Azer would be partner or companion. It should denote a togetherness, a sort of, hey, we're, we're in this thing together. So for a woman to be created as a helper is not subservience or relegating her to play an ancillary role in a man's quest. A woman and man are to be in this thing together. One of the things that God wants humans to do in this story of creation is to be fruitful and multiply. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, and that is, uh, you know, have sex and fill the earth with more humans. Um, Biologically speaking, a woman plays a very important role in that. Uh, The way this has been unfortunately interpreted in some theological camps is, at, at times, is that Eve is primarily a helper in the creation of babies. And ironically, if anyone is the subservient role in, chi- in bearing children, I think we can all agree that women do about 99% of the work there. Uh, men would be the you know, helpers in this scenario. They, they would be the subservient ones. From my own experience, there are few things in life that have made me feel more helpless and minimally useful than being with my wife as she went through labor. So this theological interpretation doesn't even add up in reality. Maybe that's because it's a bad interpretation and God had a lot more in mind for women than just motherhood. Remember, he gave Adam a spiritual responsibility. You could even call it a priestly responsibility in the Garden of Eden. And Eve is an azare for Adam. Eve is the companion in Adam's priestly responsibility. Eve joins with Adam in his spiritual work happening in the Garden of Eden. And as an important aside, the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament emphasize the spiritual responsibility of men and women, the priestly work of the Garden of Eden, if you will, while evolving the command to be fruitful and multiply into proclaiming the good news of Jesus throughout the entire world. That priestly work is what endures. What's clear from this text in Genesis 2 is that it's not good for Adam to be alone in this work. He doesn't simply need a partner in order to procreate. He needs a companion in this spiritual work. This text is the seed for what writers throughout church history would refer to as spiritual companionship. And unfortunately, in the evangelical subculture that many of us grew up in, spiritual companionship was was primarily thought of as marriage. Your spouse or your future spouse will be your spiritual companion to the point where, at least in, in my upbringing, to talk of any sort of spiritual companionship, it was assumed it was referring to marriage, which is kind of silly, you know, since we follow uh, what was a single celibate rabbi in Jesus of Nazareth, and the dude who wrote the majority of the New Testament, Paul, was single and celibate. So maybe you've had a similar experience, or, or per, perhaps not. Either way, spiritual companionship can include marriage and a spouse, but is so much more than that. Spiritual companionship is at its best when we have a diversity of these relationships. Men and women, spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters. Stephen Makia writes in his book about the rule of life, 
Spiritual companions come in different forms. They can form through relationships with our peers as well as with coaches, counselors, mentors, disciples, and pastors. They can be comprised of one-on-one relationships, triads, small groups, and large groups. They form at different seasons of life and often are more meaningful during times of great need. Spiritual companionship is different than, than friendship. I have a group of friends that I get together with. We grab coffee, we talk about what's happening with life, talk about sports, share funny anecdotes, laugh, ha, 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 have a good time together. I'm grateful for them. It's it's fun. I also have friends that I grab coffee with or go on a run with, and we talk about life, and we share funny anecdotes, in many ways similar stuff, and yet we've developed a relationship where underneath all of that is space to explore the state of my soul and their soul who we are becoming and where we are failing, what God is doing or not doing in our lives, those people aren't just friends. They are spiritual companions. We still laugh together, watch movies together. Not everything in those relationships is what many people might regard as overtly spiritual. Not everything with a spiritual companion has to be actively praying together or exclusively reading the Bible together. It's a relationship where there is space to explore the state of one's soul and one's relationship with Jesus. If you call Van City your home and are in a Van City community, then you have five or six or 11 spiritual companions. However many people are in your Van City community, whoever they are, those are your spiritual companions, and you are their spiritual companion. Your group is a ripple from the story in Genesis 2. Along that story arc are the four guys helping out with the paralytic man, and here you are with your group, carrying that on. It's the way Jesus intended following him to be. It's the way the story of the scriptures has been carried forward. God's plan for salvation has consistently moved forward through spiritual companions. Adam had Eve. Abraham had Sarah. There was Moses, his brother Aaron, and their sister Miriam. Uh, the successor to Moses, there was Joshua, had Caleb. Uh, the widow Naomi had her daughter-in-law Ruth. David, who was the second king of Israel, is probably best known for going one-on-one with Goliath, but even he had his best friend Jonathan and later the prophet Nathan. The prophet Elijah had his protege Elisha. The, pro- the prophet Jeremiah had his scribe Baruch. Mary, Jesus' mom, had her relative Elizabeth. Jesus had his disciples, in particular, Peter, James, and John. Paul had Timothy, Titus, Silas, Aquila, Priscilla, Phoebe, and a bunch more people. Typically, these sort of kind of main biblical characters have someone to move them forward or who they move forward. Throughout the story of the scriptures, there is companionship, a togetherness in what God is doing. That doesn't mean that these relationships all go swimmingly. Spiritual companionship necessitates vulnerability, which means it comes with the risk of pain. Jesus is betrayed by his disciple and friend Judas, and then he's abandoned and denied by the other 11 disciples. Paul is abandoned by John Mark, then Paul and his companion Barnabas get into a tiff about John Mark and end up going their separate ways. David's best friend Jonathan is killed, cutting short his life. Miriam and Aaron mess up a time or two, almost leading a revolt against Moses. Adam and Eve kind of mess it up for everyone. 
when it comes to Advanced Community, it's far from perfect or painless. We like to remind you guys of that, to slowly draw out like poison that consumeristic impulse we're ingrained with as American followers of Jesus. Spiritual companionship doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel bad. It can be kind of boring or mundane. Sometimes it's more exciting than you'd prefer. Whatever it is, it is necessary. It is not good for the man to be alone. While your rule of life might be something personalized to your season of life, your wiring and gifting, the, the direction and stuff Jesus is leading you into, the context of your rule of life is always with others, responsive to others and strengthened by others. Your Van City community is one important space for you to live out your rule of life, to, to have people encourage you, challenge you, uh, hold you accountable, to have people demonstrate patience and forgiveness towards you, grace, love, and also for you to do those things for others. In community, there are times we are more like the paralytic. Uh, we are struggling and seemingly unable to help ourselves, and those who are our spiritual companions pick us up and make a way for us to Jesus. And other times, we are one of the companions carrying someone hurting and struggling to Jesus, hoping and believing and working on behalf of our struggling companion. Uh, I've been in my Van City community going on seven years, seven years in February, uh, which is wild. Lots of ups and downs. Lots of kids have been born. I think we're up to 250, uh, at least that's what it feels like. Uh, lots of fun memories, lots of people failing one another. You guys get it, the ups and downs of this whole community thing. Uh, so I have been carried to Jesus by people in my community so many times. Um, so towards the beginning of our community was a season of life that included my first stint in counseling. I was going once a week, working through a lot of gnarly childhood stuff that I'd been running from. And if you've ever gone to counseling, the reality is, is, is if you've got lots of junk built up to work through, it doesn't necessarily feel good right away. It will, it's, it's well worth it, but right away it probably doesn't feel the greatest. I was uh, confronting things and feelings I'd been running from for a long time. Um, it hurt to go to counseling. It, it was a, a healing sort of pain. It was good, but it was still, you know, painful. And I have a very vivid memory of being at community one evening during this season. I was feeling so numb and just detached from what was happening and, and from God. And that evening, we did listening prayer over people, you know, where uh, you ask God to speak over someone and, and those around them take time to quietly listen for God's Spirit to speak. And then what, you know, people feel like God might be wanting to say through them, they share. When it came time for people to listen on my behalf, I remember just distinctly sitting there just so numb to it. And so they listened, and then uh, somebody in my community, Patrick, shared something very simple he felt like Jesus wanted me to know. It was ordinary, even, even you could say maybe kind of generic. But it was one of those things that was able to bypass all, all the numbness and was really deeply meaningful and encouraging in that moment. I felt closer to Jesus in that moment because of what he shared, something I was seemingly unable to do for myself. Stephen Makia writes, who doesn't need a spiritual companion? The refreshment we experience when godly encouragement comes from the voice, hand, and heart of a loving friend 
is like a pitcher of cold flowing water on a sweltering summer day. We have received such an outpouring from the Holy Spirit, and we have the privilege to share and receive this gift with others and from others. In the empowering presence of the Spirit and the covenantal love of a caring community, we grow individually and together in the Lord. Spiritual companionship and community is, is not just a help or the context of your rule of life. It is also the space that reveals your maturity, or lack thereof. Remember, your rule of life isn't just about organization and rules and goals. Uh, those are a means to an end. The point is to be a better lover, to love God more deeply, and to love those around us whether family, friend, neighbor, or enemy. And this love isn't just feelings of love, but love lived out sacrificially for the benefit of others. It isn't just having good vibes towards God. Its pinnacle is union with God, where intimacy abounds and your life is in rhythm and in tune with the story of God day in and day out. Prioritizing spiritual companionship and community is a necessary part of your rule of life. It's also the way that we've designed Van City to work. Participate in a Van City community during the week and show up and participate at the gathering every Sunday. And, and this isn't because we want to feel good about how many people we have filling the seats on a Sunday or how many people are in a small group. It's because we believe that being consistent and committed to other followers of Jesus is vital for your spiritual well-being and for mine. It is a must when it comes to learning to love God and others. On top of that, when someone chooses to not show up, they are withholding their companionship from those around them. They are withholding the gifts they have to, to contribute to those around them. Uh, you know, this is a struggle in our church to some degree. If you've been around for a while, we've, we've talked about it. This isn't anything new. And it really, it has been to, to, in some iteration since the beginning, the, since we started Van City. And, and don't misunderstand me. This isn't some sort of like organizational struggle. It's a very real, serious, spiritual struggle for our church. Uh, when people choose a half-in, half-out quasi-participation after committing to being a part of a, a community, community committing to spiritual companionship with a group, it's not behavior that's simply relegated to personal choice and preference. Maybe that's what somebody might try to call it. Maybe they just want to take a few weeks off from church or community, and, and they frame it for themselves and others as actually a good thing. But maybe instead, uh, you're choosing avoidance over commitment, avoidance of pain, spiritual and maybe emotional pain, so you avoid it by choosing to not be fully present. Or perhaps it's indicative of a life that is imbalanced, filled up with activity to the point where you alienate yourself from those around you, Jesus, and even yourself. Whatever the motivation behind the behavior, it leaves the people you've committed to in a bind. They end up carrying the consequences of your own stuff that you aren't willing to face. Your choice to not consistently show up makes it harder for them. It would be better off for you to fully 
be present with all of your baggage rather than a half-in approach. You're not doing anyone any favors. Remember, it's not just your baggage that you bring with you, but your giftings and your wiring and the Holy Spirit in you. And this isn't just Cam's, you know, kooky opinion or something a seminary professor once said in a stuffy classroom. This is what I have seen going on six years as I've helped lead Van City. I have spent countless hours helping individuals and groups navigate flakiness, navigate the distraction and challenge that the group has to figure out, navigate how it not only affects the group's relationship to the person being flaky, but it often negatively impacts all the relationships in the group. I'm still waiting to see even one situation where flakiness is a spiritual benefit for an individual or the group they're committed to. I haven't seen it yet. You don't have to be perfect at consistency or attendance or something like that, though. Don't, don't misunderstand me. The only time we've ever taken attendance at the gathering is because the state required it for COVID reasons. Uh, we aren't holding an invisible attendance threshold that if you don't meet, the door slams on you. I think most of us, if not all of us, have had to grow into commitment and consistency. Even if it's been like a two steps forward, one step back kind of process, I know I've had to grow into it over the last seven years or so. But if at the end of the day, you just rather choose to not fully be committed and show up, if you'd rather choose not to give it a shot at being present at community and the gathering, and you know, not because of some very real hardship, not because you're in an active kind of process of growth and maturity, but simply because you don't want to, then I would encourage you to step out of the group, your community, until you are ready to fully commit to the group by showing up weekly at community and the gathering. Not because we don't like you or you're not loved by God or worthy or something like that. It's because what we're trying to do as a church takes commitment and consistency. It's the way that we are set up to function as a church. And it's what you committed to by doing what you did, sitting through basics and joining your group. Maybe you need to work through some very real church hurt stuff. We'd be happy to talk to you about that, or we have a recommended counselor's list, or maybe there's some theological issues that that seem to be more than just questions, but deeply problematic for you again. Uh, For you, again, uh, we'd love to sort that out with you and do our best to help walk alongside you in that. Our email addresses are up on the website. Just go to the main page, hit the serve thing. They're all there. You can can bug us. We want to hear from you. We'd much rather see growth rather than people opting out. But if growth isn't what you'd like to start exploring and working towards with Jesus and your Van City community, then opting out is probably the way to go in this season. If that sounds harsh or something, it certainly isn't intended to be. I have this interesting position of seeing both sides of this, uh, sitting and talking with people who are unwilling to show up consistently and also the groups that are struggling because of the person or people unwilling to show up. And as a recovering idealist myself that's trying to you know, find some sort of healthy, mature optimism, I have boatloads of hope in God's presence and work, that He really does care, that He really does want to work in you and through you. In fact, I have some to spare. If you need some, you can borrow it. 
If you choose to show up week in and week out, God will work in you through that. If you'd rather avoid that and and avoid Jesus, then He'll wait patiently and longingly for when you are ready. He's kind. He is patient. For those of you who are committed and going for this, uh, perfect or not, whatever, in between, I'd encourage you to take advantage of the spiritual companionship where you can find it. One of those places is certainly your Van City community, and the great thing about spiritual companionship is that it isn't carried along by you know, similar interests and hobbies and seasons of life. Uh, friendship often is, but spiritual companionship is carried along by that question about the state of your soul as you follow Jesus. Really, the, the only thing in common with someone that you'd need is that they, too, follow Jesus. That's pretty much it. Most people don't have too many spiritual companions. There may be people like that out there, but probably not many. You may have too many relationships in your life, but, but probably not too many spiritual companions. And, and remember, a spiritual companion can be a peer, a sibling, a parent, a teacher, a counselor, a coworker, a spouse, a pastor, a spiritual director, or whatever. It can be one-on-one. It can be a group of people. It's people we have a relationship with that we can and do address the state of our souls as we follow Jesus. They may be lifelong relationships or, or just good, deep relationships for only a season. Once more from uh, Makia, spiritual companionship is a treasured commodity in the 21st century, and those who are in pursuit of their personal rule of life will need encouragement, guidance, and prayerful support of others. You take spiritual companionship where you can get it, and your Van City community is right there. Um, outside of my wife, my most consistent spiritual companions are uh, in my Van City community. I see them twice a week. That's more than I see most people in my life. Uh, I don't have everything in common with them. Some certainly more than others. Some there's a natural ease and rapport, and, and others take more intentionality to connect with. But they are definitely an important part of my rule of life and my apprenticeship to Jesus. And, and, and I take it a bit for granted that Jesus uses them in my life. It's, it's six and a half, almost seven years of just weekly meeting. Um, yeah, it's just really easy to take it for granted. Um, so, like a few months ago, um, my community was doing a practice we all did as a church. Uh, if you remember, it was a practice of speaking blessing over each other. So our, our group would split in half for time's sake and to take care of the kid craziness and, and then sit and listen to the Spirit on behalf of one person. And after a couple minutes, everyone would take turns speaking blessing over that person. It was really cool. I really enjoyed that practice. Uh, when it came time for people to speak blessing over me, uh, in my group was Vanessa, and me and Vanessa have been in community since the beginning, so almost seven years, which is wild. Um, when it was her turn to say a blessing over me, she said something about how she considered me a good dad, which was really kind and appreciated. And then she said something along the lines of, and you know, if that's really the thing that you accomplish in your life, then that would be well worth it. It was a really nice thing for Vanessa to say, and also something that helps me refine my rule of life. At the time, and, and still Today, my life is a 
is a bit in a transition stage as seminary has ended and I look to figure out what to do next with myself on top of what I'm doing for Van City and stuff. And I'm still not sure what that is. Some days that's frustrating, some days that's discouraging, and thankfully a lot of days I'm fine with not knowing. Uh, what Vanessa had to say was very timely for the season of my life to refocus my attention on what I'm already doing. In this case, being a dad. And being a good, present, emotionally available dad is something that's important for me and an important part of my rule of life and something that I have to be intentional about. And Jesus has continued to speak about that in this season. Vanessa reminded me of that and, and really helped me out. And if you haven't had the chance to hang out around Vanessa, she's a really cool person. Uh, funny, generally a good time to uh, be with. And at the same time, uh, it's not as if Vanessa and I are the bestest of buds. Um, we don't hang out and watch the big game together. Pretty sure big games aren't really her thing. No, yeah, she's saying no. Um, that's just not the sort of like relationship we have. But, but we do follow Jesus together in community. And for the last six and a half years, going on seven, she's been an important part of that for me. And I hope I've been an important part of that for her as well. Following Jesus together with other men and women while challenging at times is also one of the most important acts of generosity that Jesus does on our behalf. You and I aren't doing this thing by ourselves. We're not journeying down our own paths individually, all alone, hoping we keep in step with Jesus. That, that's not how God designed us to be in relationship with him. It's not good for us to only have a Jesus and me relationship. It's not good for the man to be alone. Instead, we're walking this narrow path together, some further down it than others. When we stumble or falter or despair, there is at times something wonderful and mysterious catching us, helping us up or strengthening us. It's the creator God at work by his spirit, something that can't be captured under a microscope. And then there's times when the catching or the helping or the strengthening is tangibly experienced through someone like a Patrick or a Vanessa or a friend or a spouse as Jesus uses them in our lives. Something that could look just normal, like normal relational stuff. And yet, it is much more profound and meaningful than that. And the whole that certain points will get to be the person doing the, the catching of those who stumble or the helping those who are beginning to falter or lending strength to those who are despairing. Jesus called following him the narrow way. And it's long, too. <laughs> A lifetime of drawing closer to Jesus together. The rest of our lives, day by day, drawing closer to Jesus in quiet moments, in chaotic moments, in peace and in turmoil, we live out a rule of life together, learning to love God and each other more deeply together. We are in this together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.